Welcome to the Freedom Chasers Podcast, where we bring you interviews and discussions that share the stories, successes, goals, and dreams of real estate agents and real estate investors pursuing a life of purpose and freedom. And freedom. Today, we're absolutely stoked to have Ryan Smith with Cinch Home Buyers here. He's the owner of Cinch Home Buyers. He's a visionary. Um, he just got started last September. He's been doing this just short of a year, and he's already closing 10 to 15 deals a month. We're super pumped to talk about your journey, Ryan. We'd love to kick it off with a story, man. Could you just tell us, out of all those transactions that you pumped out over the past year, what is the craziest one? Mm, I had this one transaction uh, in Raleigh, North Carolina, and we got the guy under contract. This was kind of before I knew about memorandums and liens and all that stuff. And he seemed really nice. And uh, yeah, so we got him under contract. Basically, what happened was he had second thoughts and he got like a call from OfferUp. So... Uh, he wanted to back out of the contract. It got kind of dicey. I didn't know what I was doing at the time. So I had to get a lot of like legal advice and long story short, the guy basically just jumped out of the contract and he said, Oh no, no longer. I'm going to do the contract with you. Um, I had an inspector go by and then the the guy was acting like he's like, oh no, I'm not working with this guy anymore, and it was just a big mess, huge mess for sure. And uh, at the end of it, I didn't put the memorandum in time or the lease pendants in time, so he offer up bought a spot. So kind of stunk for sure, but that's the biggest thing that comes to mind. I mean, there's been worse as far as like tenant situations, rats. Um, well, it's just been a lot. Yeah. It's been a lot of crazy stuff. So let's dive into this a little bit. So you said didn't put the memorandum in in time. So it, where you're at, do you have to put it in by the time someone else buys it? Is that the time frame, or is there a certain number of days from the time you execute the contract that you have to put the memorandum in? What's the time frame? I was told that it's got to be put in before we close. Um, or around that time because if like let's say I go back to him a week or two later and after closing and we don't really have a case that so that's what I hear I'm not a legal expert so I'm not completely sure but that's what I that's what I've heard before the other buyer closes you're saying yeah yeah I hear you and before closing my my closing yeah. So you've kind of come out the gate firing from what Tim is expressing. You went started last September and now you're doing 10 a month or so, 10 to 15 a month. Kind of talk about your background and what led you to get into real estate. So when I was like 24, I used to be, or I went, I joined a real estate company, uh, KW. And I mean, I thought it was going to be amazing for me, but I ended up uh, sucking. I wasn't good at it, um, whatsoever. So, uh, I got literally like two listings, none of them closed. (laughs) So yeah, I was like, uh, okay, maybe, yeah, I had a lot of, uh, I guess negative thoughts. Can't think, 
like debilitating thoughts. I was like, ah, I'm not going to be able to do this. I don't really want to do this right now. I want to just do something else. So I went to uh, Bitcoin, trading Bitcoin, Ethereum, all that type of stuff, crypto. And that started working pretty well for me. Cool. So let's talk about this um, real estate agency thing for a minute. So you're saying you didn't enjoy that. Like, what did that look like? Um, what didn't you enjoy about it? And, and how long did it take you to de- determine that that wasn't the path for you? Well, I just didn't like the fact that I couldn't, I didn't have like 100% control, basically. So, and not only that, but it's, it wasn't scalable. It wasn't scalable like I wanted it to be. And my vision for a company is to be able to scale nationally. So, um, I mean, if I was going to do that with being a real estate agent, it would be a little bit more tough. And at the time, I didn't have a scalable idea about it. I was just thinking, oh, okay. If I were to go to, I mean, I'm in North Carolina. If I were to go to Texas, I would have to pay referral fees, all of this, or I would have to get my own license. Now, um, today, or well, now I feel like I can kind of scale that a little bit different from the knowledge that I have now. I mean, maybe I could have, um, partnered with other people and done that, but it just wasn't, it wasn't as easy as a scalable thing. So I want to kind of differentiate here a little bit. So you're thinking big picture from the very, very beginning, like I can't scale this business, but you're not even able to sell one listing and right. You take two listings. You said none of them sell. Then you moved into crypto space, crypto space back into real estate. Like what led you from like, I can't even sell somebody else's house to like, let's just start buying tons of houses. Like, most people would probably be crippled with fear, but not you. Kind of walk through the mentality, the thought process. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> to be honest, there's probably not much thought process there. <laughs> I'm, not even, I'm just that guy that's going to just jump. I won't even really think um, a lot of, about a lot of things. That is funny that you put it that way because I did not even think about that. <laughs> not even to this day, just now. I'm, I'm like loving this conversation because it's like you were so detailed in your visionary thought patterns that you wouldn't pursue the general real estate uh, path based on it not being nationally scalable, but will buy houses without a thought. Like I, I want to unpack that because like whatever you have in that regard, I want to transfer to somebody. Not that I want people to do things without sound judgment and so on and so forth, but it's like, how do we implant that lack of a stopping mechanism so that people could take action. I've got a, for example, I've got a buddy who's an awesome dude. I talk to him all the time. Dude's got hundreds of K hundreds of thousands of dollars in the bank has sold so many houses, knows how to price properties, can't get himself over the ledge to buy a house. I've tried every psychological tactic on him. I could possibly think of from FOMO to you name it. Can't get him to make a purchase, right? Like short of hypnosis, I don't think it's going to happen, but you on the other hand, so like, can you, can you dissect for us, what is that thing? So as leaders, like maybe I can help people who are ready to make that jump, just kind of get over that hump and just start buying houses. So what I could think about is that I have just been a really risk oriented person. I've 
done BMX, like been really good at biking to the point where it's like, you know, I could have been pro for sure. Backflips, front flips, all this type of stuff. Then, and I've always grown up doing that. And um, that's actually what I was doing before I started real estate. So I've always been super risk oriented, jumping out of planes. You know, I'm working on my pilot's license, all of this crazy boxing, all of this crazy stuff. And I just, I'm not sure <laughs> at that point. I just don't think, I just do a lot of time. I get it. He, well, you know, I, I think, you know, what's awesome about what you just said is that's often what is holding people back, right? It's because they think too much. They try to learn everything. And unfortunately, in, in the world of business, you can't learn everything until you go do it, right? So, I mean, you learn far more by taking imperfect action than reading a thousand books 10 times out of 10. Um, I, I love that you just talked about, like you just said, you, you were almost a BMX professional. So, like, let's get into this. Like, I would imagine that there's probably some sort of skill set that you took from that that you transferred over to real estate in some way. Um, could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So the skills that I would probably just transfer is just do it because like, let's say there's a huge ramp in front of you or like you're trying to do a backflip or a 360 or you know, some crazy trick maneuver. A lot of times it's just in your head. A lot of this stuff is just in your head. You're like, Oh crap. I'm not going to do this. Oh, I can't talk to this person because of this or that a lot of times I've just noticed it's just in your head. If you go and just make that first pedal or you make that first step, the next step, sure. They may be hard. Sure. You might fall, you might get hurt, but it's not the end of the day. It, it's not the end of you or it's yeah, it's not the end of uh, like, it's not the end of your life for sure. It's you're good. You're jumping on a, you're jumping on a plane. If it doesn't go right, it, it is the end of your life, right? <laughs> okay, well, maybe in that regard, nine, 99 out of 100 times, I think there are some people that live from that height. I've, I've heard of stories. I, I read so, one on the internet that said someone someone's parachute didn't open, and they landed in a red anthill. Have you heard this one? They, they, they landed in a red anthill, and they were bitten by so many red ants it actually shocked their system and kept their heart pumping long enough to where they're able to be saved, um, which is wild. I don't know that I'd want to live through that, but um, so when you're in like, when you're in those extreme situations where death is on the table, like, is it still just not thinking about it at all? Or is it, do you process through it and become okay with it? Okay. So for like the first time I skydove, I remember looking outside I was like in a tandem or whatever. That's what you got to do when you first skydive. You got to have somebody hooked onto you uh, for obvious reasons, I think. And uh, <laughs> so he, I remember he opens the door and I look out and then I'm seeing like a movie. It ends up being like a movie. I'm like, I don't have time. I didn't have time to think. I just did. I don't know. It's great. I mean, it helps when you're strapped to somebody, right? I mean, I think he's just going to take you with you. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> he's like, you can't, we, you can't just fly back down, man. You got to jump. That's a good point, um, too, actually, that you just said. Um, you got to take somebody with you. And if it's a lot easier if you have other people 
surrounded by you and you're actually like learning from the greats as well. And for me with this wholesaling thing, I mean, I didn't really learn too much from the greats, but I was remember watching like Zach and um, his father, Rick, Zach and Rick on like YouTube. And uh, I learned a lot from them. Not saying that it, it was great, but I also had other steps that we'll go over. I'm pretty sure later. So totally. Yeah. And I love it. So not only are you strapped to somebody, you're, like you said, you're watching these people do it. So you're seeing people doing it. You know, it's possible. You're tied to someone that's a mentor or at least someone that's done it before. And the thing that I love about the analogy is they hold the decision of when you fall out of the plane, not you. Right. So maybe you tie yourself to somebody that pushes that button for you. And like, we just, one of the guys that we connect with that helps edit this podcast, he did that, right? He said, Hey Matt, I know I want to do this. I'm too scared to actually take action. I need you to list my house and sell it. Cause once you sell it, I have to go, I have to take the money. And so he does, he's, he's jumped and now he's in contract on two properties out of state that at least based on the initial, you know, like last 12 months, rent rolls and all those types of things will produce two to $3,000 a month of cash flow for him upon purchase. So he's fired up, but he did kind of what you're describing. He cut that cord, burned the bridges, however you want to describe it. So let's transition this thing into, okay, you're trading some crypto. Take us into the first three to six months and maybe even a little bit before of what's happened as you got in the investing game. Okay. <clears throat> so, and not to add too much time, but to preface what happened before I got into the investing game, I had a trucking company. So it did give me some experience with operational type work. Um, but as far as your question, the first three months, um, I'd say the first month wasn't good, uh, in my opinion. I had one contract for sure. So I did have a contract. I mean, closing, excuse me. And uh, let me pause you for one second, because um, you just said your first month you got a contract. Right. And you, you would be amazed how many people you, we've spoken to. Um, I would say almost on average, it takes people six to 12 months. So you were disappointed in your first month, but you got one. Yeah. And so this one, I attest the only reason for this was because the market was so hot. We had, I found this property in Rocky Mount that was like a teardown. And this guy, he wanted to buy it, but I sold it for, I think I got it for like $5,000 teardown property. And then I sold it for like 12K or something like that, something. Um, and it was like, it was such a teardown property. But I was so proud. It doesn't matter. I was so proud. And then, um, okay, so the next two months, um, I hired, I, I, I mean, I already knew this, but I, I don't like talking with sellers that much. You know, I can sell a lot of stuff. I can, I'm a salesman at heart, but. It's just talking to sellers. There's something about that that I'm not too fond of. So I, especially cold calling. So I hired a cold caller, I believe, at first. A cold caller and an acquisitions person from a agency. And they basically screwed me over. Um, so then I ended up, I was just building. Building my operations. Hired an, ac um, an executive assistant. She was really good. And yeah, just grow it. I mean, I could 
tell you guys a lot about the operations um if that's what you'd like to go into too it'd be awesome but lots of stuff we could go into um before we get into the operations let's talk about your pride um you just mentioned you got your first deal under contract for five you sold it for 12 if i remember correct you made seven grand something like that what was that moment like for you um that moment was pretty cool it was pretty cool i am not gonna lie to you I was like, wow, because I listed it on Facebook Marketplace. And I was like, wow, all of these people really want to buy this property. This is awesome. <laughs> this is awesome. And um, yeah, man, it was like kind of a realization like, man, if you can do this, you can scale this up to 40 houses a month, 50 houses a month. You just have to get the infrastructure and not spend too much money on things that are going to just uh, screw you over, like mess you up or something, you know? So, so I'm, I'm super curious about this because I remember being a math teacher and making pennies, right? Especially having a small family and then going to my broker when I got into real estate and saying, so you're telling me if I sell a house at 300,000, at 3% commission, you're literally going to write me a check for $9,000 less your, your split. And he says, Matt, I really will. And I'm like, you're serious. Okay. You know, I just felt like that amount of money at that time in my life was just surreal for that type of work. You know, I'm used to working for pennies. Was that like the same thing for you? I mean, you come from the BX, BMX world, that type of thing. I'm assuming there's not a lot of money there. So how, how valuable at this stage of your life? Because I mean, I know now you're still really young, but how valuable was that kind of money to you? Like, you know, from a, well, <clears throat> with the trucking company, I did make some good money. I made, yeah, I was making, I mean, this is good for me because before I didn't make really good money at all. So I was doing like 40 K a month or something like that. And, um, when I transitioned to wholesaling, it was like, Really, the money didn't matter as much the first month, but the thing that mattered to me was that I can do it. I can do it. And I don't think, I mean, I think once I see, well, I, I mean, I have some pretty big goals, but once I see my goal, um, my two, three-year goal, I mean, man, it's going to be like, wow. But I still think it's going to feel kind of like, Whatever. I'm comfortable now, but at least I know I can do it, which is huge. Cool, man. So you just gave me a super important question. I believe, if I'm following you correctly, you just said you were making like 40 grand a month and like you just said that like it was nothing. Am I following you correctly? Was that is that where you were at? You were making 40 grand and you're like, that's not enough. Oh, yeah. Um, And I mean, my this is just kind of a financial goal of mine, but. And I'll hit it, but it's like, um, yeah, I don't want it, you know, to come off as like, okay, yeah, this is just financial. This is more like, man, deep down, like, oh, wow, I can actually do this. I can do that. And that's the biggest thing because, uh, dude, yeah, it's awesome to hit goals. So my year three goal is once I can scale up a couple little bit, um, I mean, I want to make 15 million a year. So, um, over over a million a month for sure. And, um, I think it can d easily be done. My biggest, 
my biggest reasoning for that is yeah, I just want to do what I want to do, man. I want to be, <laughs> I want to be jumping out of airplanes. I want to buy my own airplanes. Yeah. I don't know, man. I could go into my goals for why a million dollars a month. Okay. Because right now with 10 closings, I mean, we're doing about 12,000 a closing. That's, um, a million a year I mean, or so. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a little bit over a million a year. So what I know from our scale now is that if I choose five places that we can go into, um, virtually and boots on the ground, um, that's how I came up with that number. Um, because we can do with, I believe with the marketing that we have, we, and with better systems, we can pull about 300,000 a month. And then if we can scale that up times five, that's 1.5 a month. And that's 15 million on a, on a bad year, I think. So you're, you're looking at this from an analytical perspective and you're saying, if I'm spending 1.5 a month, I'm, I'm bringing in 15 a month. Um, no, no, no. If I'm, um, 15 a year, sorry. Yeah. 15 a year. And if I'm, uh, I mean, our spending is going to be a little bit different based on, cause we have commercial, I mean, we're launching a commercial in Raleigh and, um, there's going to be different expenditures, but, uh, that's what I think our net, our, our gross probably. I'd like to see that as our net, but we'll see. So we're super fascinated on this show to understand people, how they correlate and connect their, their goals with their dreams, what they do before and after that type of thing. So it, it seems to me that your focus is on like what's possible and then pursuing it. And so I'm assuming you could probably do everything you wanted in life on a million dollars a year, right? So is it just kind of like a, hey, who, why not make 15 million when you can make 15 million? Or is there something like that you're legitimately connecting to? I need to make $15 million a year to do the things that I want to do. Well, I just think it's more of a kind of like an emotional type thing. Because, I mean, if I can do 15 a year, then, I mean, it's not going to change my life, even from today. It, I, I mean, I might have a nicer house, but... I mean, I don't need a big house or anything. Might get a couple Lamborghinis, but, <laughs> you know, other than that, it's not really going to change the type of person I am. I mean, I'm still going to joke around with, with the homies, with the friends, and I just think it's just there for a goal, man. It's awesome. It's cool. <laughs> Tim and I throw around the, the phrase quarterback money a lot. We both like the NFL. We like watching sports. And so we kind of view the the, the quarterback is the the chief player of the NFL world. I mean, obviously there's an argument for, for other positions, but usually the quarterbacks are making the most money. They're, they're making all the decisions. So we feel like we'll have arrived from a financial standpoint. My actual goal is way, way lower than this, but we'll, we'll have arrived as elite in this space when we are making quarterback money. Like, so that's kind of cool. $15 million a year is it's quarterback money. So that's cool. Yeah. 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 That, that's why I asked you why, because that's my why. It's like, I want to make quarterback money. We have very similar goals. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so take us into the, the actuals a little bit, into the, the actions. So you're in, you're, you're getting some stuff going. How fast are you choosing to build this team? What are some of the struggles that you go through? Kind of give us an insight into the journey. Okay. So I'll go over the last question real quick. The struggles is crazy. Um, especially growing the team. So 
like onboarding people, building SOPs that are actually going to work, standards of procedures that are going to work, building like action plans and making sure that people are good. Um, I'll give a little gem here. We use predictive index to actually find, which is a behavioral assessment for those that don't know. And we're building our teams with that surrounded by that. So they have to have a good behavioral book, good cognitive. If they're not able to pick up on things as quickly, there's other people that can, unfortunately. Um, but so, or fortunately, however you would like to take it. And um, yeah, I mean, basically it's that is the people problem with when it comes to the struggles. And that's going to, I think that's going to be the problem for a lot of things, a lot of companies, I guess. I would assume this is, you know, straight assumption. But then as far as um, how fast I think I can build it, as long as I can get over these people problems, it's going to be fine. Um, I mean, there's, I know I can raise money, capital, um, to grow my business if I need it. Uh, we could do business funding as well, business credit type things like that. And uh, I think I could, yeah. Everyone who listens to our show knows Tim and I are passionate about obtaining financial freedom through real estate investing. We also know that everyone's situations and goals are different. And while there are programs out there that show you a path to financial freedom, many of these programs are just too cookie cutter and don't take your personality, situation, and desired outcome into account. Think about the number of times that you've watched a guru online and tried to do the exact same thing as they did, but had nowhere near the same results. You are not alone. When I got started, I was continually paying for courses and getting only partial results until I discovered the path that made sense for me. The results prove this out. Most online course creators have let us in on their dirty secrets that 90 to 95% of their students never complete their course and achieve their desired outcome. This is not something that we're okay with. The benefit of working with Tim and I is that we are interviewing between 5 and 20 people every single week. We have accumulated hundreds of seven-figure strategies and gotten inside scoop from these successful entrepreneurs. We're able to work with you to pick the strategy that will best fit and then help you create the custom plan to take you quickly into financial freedom. As a former math teacher, I always taught my students that the fastest way between two points is a straight line. If you want to get rid of the many curves in the road that can make the journey longer and more costly, then go to coaching.freedomchaserspodcast.com and book a call with us. And let's get you on a straight line path to freedom. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, give us the nuts and bolts of the business. So you do this first deal. How'd you find it? You take the money, you're reinvesting. Like, how are you finding these deals? And then when and how do you hire the pieces? Like, how have you decided to structure the building out of your organization? So... I find the deals through different marketing strategies. We use SMS. We use cold calling. We use YouTube, PPC. Um, we're launching our commercial. Uh, we're, we would have launched it um, like this month, but I don't like launching like commercials and stuff like that when there's other ads, like political ads, other ad spaces going on. So we're going to wait until the end of December. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of how we're doing it. Then did I forget anything. I don't think so. But then um, <clears throat> as far as when we decide to bring more people on is when there becomes enough bottlenecks in that one department. So 
like let's say acquisitions um like if the sales guys are keep getting backed up first we're going to do my operations guy because i have an operations person or operations lady excuse me she's going to um go and uh figure out what are the biggest bottlenecks for my acquisition people what are the biggest bottlenecks and then if it's just adding another person then that's what needs to happen but there could be bottlenecks when it comes to SOPs, just the you know regular procedures that we have. Um, could be the person, you know, the way they're communicating, the way that, yeah, I mean, their knowledge. They might not have enough knowledge on the aspect on the um, yeah aspect, whether it be like novations, whether it be a wholesale, whether it be a flip, fix and flip, whether it be a wholetail could be a bunch of different things so after that if like everything's fine with that person then uh, i would say that's when we need to add another person yeah so i'm gonna go back to our pre-show call um because i believe you said you scaled a little bit too quickly i think you had 15 people and you had to scale back a little bit um so can we talk about that because i mean uh, we all run into that problem at some point i think um i definitely did the exact same thing i was like oh this is easy Anybody could do this. And then I realized that most people aren't willing to work as hard as me. So let's talk about the scaling thing that you ran into and how you've been working on um, fixing it. Perfect. Yeah. So, yeah, I had like 15 people working for me at one point. And then I noticed it was kind of like the same thing I just explained with the operations. We didn't have that two, three months ago. Um, We just started to implement some of these operational more like um, detailed operational stuff. So like with those 15 people, basically what happened was that I was figuring out, okay, a lot of these people aren't doing what they need to do. And there's like, um, they're crossing tasks. Like they don't need to be crossing tasks. We had to implement for everybody, um, a web work tracker, which we didn't use, used to do. Um, especially because we're virtual. So we had to do a web work tracker. And I figured, wow, a lot of these people aren't working like they said they're working. Hmm. And me as a, as the owner, and I'm doing like, you know, they say the CEO, chief everything officer, I'm doing like freaking every part of the business. I'm like, I didn't have time. So when I actually got a good operations person, like a good operations person, not just somebody that said their operation and just giving you know, random numbers. Um, then I started to figure, wow, this is like, this is a big issue. I'm missing out on thousands and thousands of dollars of profit because I want to keep, I want to be nice and keep these people on. Um, when they, their work ethic basically was showing that they didn't care about the business. So, you know, it's a tough pill to swallow, but yeah. So kind of walk us through that. So you have 15 people. How many did you have to cut? How long did that take? And then, you know, how did you start to process through? Did you just kind of hand it all off to your operations person or were you actively involved in that shift? No, I was involved for sure. Um, I did six. I cut six people probably in like three weeks to a month. Um, but I don't just cut. Like, I'm not just cutting people just to cut. Um, I 
for one, I, I talked to each one of these people. I said, Hey, look, this is your issue. You got to do this, this, and this. Um, we cut two acquisitions people at the time. I mean, I have three again, but I had three before. Um, and, uh, I cut one of them cause they were only getting a contract, one contract every like month while the other guy, other two guys were getting like a lot. Like one guy was getting like 80% of all contracts. And then the other guy was maybe getting, I would say like 17% and the, the guy I cut was doing three. So I cut the got cut the low hanging fruit first. Cause I said, look, man, this isn't working. Then the other guy I had to cut as well because I wanted to hire better talent. And I said, look, uh, this isn't working. I'm trying to scale this business. I'm sure you understand. I appreciate your time, but these are the reasons why I gave him a list of reasons there. Then for the other people, it was the same thing. Um, lead manager and executive assistant dispositions. Um, and then, uh, oh, we had a TC, but she left because she, um, well, I had to cut her, but she basically was like, um, sounds really bad, but she was cussing out like a attorney. So it's horrible for the brand. Ugh. So that's how, that's how I did it. So cool. I'm curious, um, like what is the payment structure for your acquisition team? Is this a commission role? Is this an hourly role? Or just kind of give me an idea how that works. No, this is kind of a hybrid. Um, I'm sure a lot of people do it this way too. It's like uh, a base pay and then we do uh, commission as well, commission structure. So basically, um, most of my people are under eight bucks an hour because they're a lot from the Philippines. Then we have, I have like an expert guy and he's a little bit more. He's like, um, you know, supposed to be 20 bucks an hour. And then we give him a um, commission structure on top, but he also really helps with the business. So I try to get the most value possible out of these, everybody on the team. Absolutely. And and I love that because it leads into my next question. Because you mentioned you had three acquisitions, guys, or people. Um, one of them was doing like 80% of the work, which is the 80-20 rule. I mean, it shows up over and over again. It just keeps showing up. I mean, you put it almost like it perfectly, right? Because um, you had one guy doing 17, the other guy doing three, the other guy doing 80 or something along that line. It just lines up perfectly. So obviously, you identified a skill set gap. So like, what did you see from the 80% guy versus, we'll throw the 3% guy out, but like versus the 17% guy, which is probably the more average dude? Like, what is the difference? What separates them two? So that guy I hired before I started doing the predictive index thing. And that, I mean, I hired him like last year, December time or November. But the biggest thing I've noticed with a lot of salespeople is they're not behaviorally um, fit for the role. Uh, and a little background about predictive index, you have an A, B, C, and D. Basically, and just a salesperson is supposed to be independent. They're supposed to be able to be social, and they have to have a drive, like a high drive. And um, the D is a... Um, how well they conform to like rules and everything if if they're um, flexible or or not. 
So, yeah, this guy, the 17% guy, he was just, um, he was very reserved. He wasn't driving and he was very collaborative and he was more precise. That's what it is, flexible and precise. So it's, it's more of an admin or a TC role that he was fit for. And I'm huge. I'm very big on um, behavioral assessments. Totally. So I am a big fan of using psychology as a tool of finding out who's the right fits. So you're, you were talking about earlier, you were the CEO, the chief everything officer. How has your evolution through your behavioral process been and you're processing yourself in and out of jobs? How, how do you think about your role and how it, how it moves as the business moves? So, and I've heard this from a couple people, my role, I need to step back. I'm the visionary. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm high drive. I'm like, I am a perfect set, not a perfect, but like I'm a nine of 10 on the, um, like a captain, basically what they call it on PI. So high independence, uh, kind of medium to high social and all that stuff. So, um, for me, how I need to kind of fix myself, I, I hope I'm doing the right question or I'm, I'm addressing this correctly. Um, but yeah, so basically for me, I, uh, I need to step back and I need to not do as much on the role because I'm too much of a pusher Basically, I'll push things. I'll make people drive. And yeah, I'm just more of a visionary, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> cool. No, definitely. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. So how do you define, because you said you had to take a step back, which I think is true for a lot of people. I think you scale up and then scale down and scale back up. Um, how do you define when you step back? And, and let go of some control. I mean, obviously, a lot of entrepreneurs are control people in general. That's why we're entrepreneurs. So how do you define when is the right time to let go of control and do that process? So, you know, I'm actually not completely sure. But what I've heard from people is that you should take a – and, like, I want to quote kind of Dan Schwartz because um, he's a big – like mentor of mine. Um, I want to like, he took a three month hiatus basically. And he says, if you're able to take a three month hiatus, you're, that's really how you can see if you're doing things effectively. Are you able to, are you able to walk away for, and it may not be three months. Are you able to walk away for a day? Are you able to walk away for a week? And things get better without you, or are you a, or do you have to, you know, be the CEO, chief everything officer? And that's kind of how I define things as well, um, because I, I thoroughly think if you can walk away for a couple of days, or you can walk away, maybe start little. Can you walk away for a couple of hours and things keep working? Can you walk away for a couple of days? Then you go on a bigger and bigger hiatus. I think this is a really good test, right? I mean, it's like, do you own a job or do you own a business? And I think 
the measure of that is to how for how long can you walk away without receiving any communication and the business still is either at least staying flat or growing. So you mentioned something a second ago that kind of caught my attention, which is like that you're a pusher. I could be totally wrong in this assumption, but I kind of almost got the sense that that wasn't being said in a positive way. Like maybe you would push your people too hard. I might've really read into that, but am, am I accurate on that? Like maybe you need to step back and let a softer person manage the team or where, where was your mind taking you there? You're a hundred percent accurate for sure. Um, I've always had this issue. Like I've just been like, keep going, keep going, keep going. And like, it's like, Oh shoot. Uh, step back. Everything's okay. Just, you know, maybe you might need to be, have like a nicer, yeah, uh, more of a, like, um, a caregiver type person. Yeah. I, I hear you. And, and I asked that question because I might be that type too, possibly. Right. Um, at least definitely my, my family growing up, my, my brother certainly thinks so. And, uh, but like you kind of hear it, like, you know, Russell Wilson just went to the Broncos and there's all this chatter about how he, you know, they're, relationships disintegrated because he was just too much of a driver, you know, that type of thing. Not everybody shares the goals of the quarterback. And yeah, totally. So in our group, we have people that are just getting started and some of them are younger. And one of the things that gets me so excited to have you on is you're just turned 30, 31, right? You're a baby and, uh, and you're doing some epic things. So what would you say to somebody who? is, you know, maybe sub 30 or early thirties and they're, they're, they're allowing their age to scare them from achieving some goals. Like what advice would you give them? Dude, what I would say is, man, I have people working for me that are 20 years old, 21. Like my TC is like, I think 19 or 20. And I have a disposition guy right now that's 20 and he's killing it. And now if I would say the same thing as a business owner, Age does not matter at all. Um, it doesn't matter. I think the earlier you start, the better it's going to be for you. And even if you start at a later age, it's not like success doesn't move in a diagonal line. You know, you, you can start one place and then shoot up. You can shoot up and then plateau. It's all on you um, at the end of the day. And I would say like, Sub 30, just do it. You're going <laughs> to, you'll take risks. It's okay to fall. You'll get better. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, in regards to success not being linear, um, it is absolutely not linear. Um, oftentimes it has, um, Matt uses this phrase a lot, and I, I find it very accurate. It's more like a hockey stick where you're almost on a downward trend and then all of a sudden, boom. Um, <laughs> um, so, I mean, success is definitely not linear. I, I've also seen like entrepreneurial maps or like the entrepreneur's journey is. <laughs> so, um, very true stuff here. Um, cool. I mean, this is just something that I keep thinking about. So I'm just going to ask it. So, I mean, um, I used to be an assistant GM at McDonald's, right? And we have a phrase that I've just never given up. Put your aces in their places. Um, I, I think that's not used in other industries nearly as much as it should be because you're not thinking about what somebody should be doing. You're just trying to put somebody there. Um, and you've kind of brought this up a couple times. You want to get the right person in the right role. So like, did you, did that come out of, 
I mean, I suppose it did come out of circumstance, right? Because you had to scale down from 15 to 11. But like, how did you solve that problem? Because essentially you are putting your aces in their places. Dude, yeah, I love that uh, that saying. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> that's awesome. I mean, for me, uh, man, like, I I can't remember who first said it, but that uh, that it kind of clicked with me. But it's yeah, it's probably somewhere on like Instagram or something, man, um, <laughs> where I've like seen that Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk. So it's really following the greats. Um, these guys, um, I think Robert Smith, I think his one, another one. And they all say like, wow, you guys, like you have to put people that are better than you in the place and are in like the right position. Um, so I think that's where all of, all of this came from for sure. And, um, I mean, I can't wait till I can actually hire a CEO to be able to run everything. So, Love it. So talking about future vision, let's say you have a billion dollars in the bank and a hundred lifetimes of cash flow from properties that you own. How do you structure your life at that point? I mean, I'd probably build more businesses um, <laughs> for sure and buy jets. So I could fly, fly them by probably fighter jets too. So I could do crazy maneuvers, <laughs> thousands of acres of land, um, probably build a farm like self-sustaining farm, uh, organic type stuff. And, uh, yeah, I would just have some, a lot of fun, but still grow businesses and continue to work and then probably help all my friends. Like I would ask, you know, I'd give them education so they can, or not give them education, but I would point them in the right spot for education and then say, hey, look, you want a million dollars to start a business? Here you go. You know, it, as long as it made sense. I don't want to just give out money to like, to hurt people. But like, as far as like, if somebody doesn't know what they're doing, I don't want to place money and then have them go on a downtrend. I want to try to give them the tools so they can go on an uptrend. Such a valuable point too. Cause like psychologists talk about that. Like if you put money in people's hands that aren't ready for it, it costs crazy damage. They say like money's an accelerator. Like if someone's on a good path, money will accelerate them upwards. If they're on a bad path, it'll accelerate them sometimes to their death. If they have addictions or things like that. You mentioned fighter pilots. Like what do you think of the top new Top Gun? It's not new anymore. The Top Gun movie uh, came out. And would you lead and shoot, if you had a billion dollars, Top Gun 3, uh, would you usher us into the new new uh, era? Oh, 100%. I didn't see the movie yet, so but I want to so bad. And uh, man, yeah, if uh, if I could, I, I definitely would. We'd, we'd have the most awesome planes. Awesomest planes, man. It'd be crazy. <laughs> yeah I, I, that was one of the ones that got it right you know like like hollywood does these big remakes and stuff like that all the time it was so much like the original and it gave like just a much enough callback to make it like super nostalgic but also modern and fun but it's not like cgi everything like the real freaking planes um it was it's a good movie dude check it out um i think it's better than the first one um 
This is so cool, man. Like, so, I mean, just talking about that, I mean, it just brings like the idea of Maverick. I mean, you kind of have the same personality, right? You're just, you're just going out there. You're going 120%. You're going to do whatever the hell you want to do. You don't really care what your commanding officers or whatever says. You're just like, eh, I'm going to do this. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, have you just always been that way? I mean, you, you mentioned you, you started biking and you were doing all this extreme stuff, boxing, so on and so forth. Have you always been this driving guy? Were you born that way or did you develop that? You know, I, when I was younger, I was hard-headed, very hard-headed. I always got in trouble. I always, you know, my mom would always put me on, or my parents would always put me on punishment. Um, so I always did what I wanted to do for the most part. And, um, but I don't think I was necessarily born this way. I think that um, a lot of it just had to do with just taking risks and then, I mean, you know, when, when you're learning new things, your brain has to fire off synopsises and then it gets easier and easier after time. I think that is kind of what happened because like, you know, I'm an amazing swimmer too. I was a good swimmer in high school, but as far as if you're going to put me in the ocean, I'd be scared crapless for sure. Like I would not be... And I can't go into the ocean just because of my fear of sharks. So that's one, it's one thing I would never do. So it just really depends. Um, but I, I, I want to dive into this for a second. Yeah. I was going to say, I think Matt wants to hear this one too. So we have the same question. Go ahead. So I have a business partner. He's in our Facebook group too, that loves diving with sharks. And I am like you, like you and I are the same in this regard. So you have a fearless attitude towards most things. But let's say you had no choice. Like, what would be your thought process to get yourself right so that you could, in fact, dive with these sharks? It would be like anything. You you just can't think about it. You got to just jump. You got to just jump. That's what I would do. And then I would be like, yeah. <laughs> so, so should we send you a calendar invite for you and I to go shark shark diving together? That's what I was just thinking. I was like, what? What is it about the sharks that's so scary? Because like that, I'm not afraid of that. I mean, I got a cage, right? I'll be fine. It's just a shark. You know, they're like the stupidest <laughs> animal in the world, by the way. Their brain is that's like what the scares size me, of Tim. Like, that's exactly what scares tiny. me. Right? Oh. They're not smart enough to stay away from us. <laughs> Yeah, but they're not smart enough to get in the cage either. So I mean, they might like bump against it, but I mean, I I would I would not even think about that when they're. I mean, <laughs> so like, what is it about the sharks that scares you? I'm really curious because you're not afraid of jumping out of planes. You're not afraid of doing backflips. You're not afraid to create a million dollar business in twelve months. Um, you know, I mean, Animal, sharks though. Animals, <laughs> animals in general, like huge animals. Like I'm sure I would be a mega afraid of around a bear. But predators, yeah, predators sketch me out. But that's if I can't, if I'm like in their environment and I can't do anything like now a cage, it might be okay. But if I'm just out free diving with sharks, oh my. Oh, we're talking about free diving. I thought we were doing like cage diving. Like I would totally cage dive. I don't know if I want to swim with a shark. Like that's that's a little too close to the edge for me, maybe. <laughs> they're dumb animals, Tim. Go for it. 
I mean, I thought I was protected by a cage before. Um, things change a little bit when I'm just um, <laughs> when I'm just kicking next to this guy. He's going to be a lot faster than me. You know, he was born in the water. I wasn't. Um, <laughs> he might be dumb, but he's, he's he's you know he's in his natural environment. He's like a thousand teeth, like a. Oh, well, I mean. I mean, what I think is really cool is we've identified a fear that, that you have, Ryan. So, I mean, I think, I think it's really important that you should go attack that fear and conquer it. Because you don't have that many fears, dude. So, I mean, if, if this is like, you probably have a list of like five things you don't want to do. Maybe you should just knock them. Well, okay. Here was one debilitating fear that's going to sound really crazy and weird. Um, <laughs> so, I was trying to walk across a bridge. And this bridge was like a um, train bridge, right? And it had like the wooden pieces missing. So I could see the bottom and it was pretty high up. I couldn't walk across it. I couldn't walk across it. My friend easily walked across it. But then I said, what? It was like a crazy, this is the craziest time. It's so crazy because I've jumped out of planes I love flying airplanes, but when it came to walking across this bridge, I was like, it's like, wow. So documentary coming, documentaries coming. Yeah. We're going to start an extreme sports, extreme challenge show or something. It's like, <laughs> it's funny, you know, I've actually, I could relate to the bridge thing. For some reason, I'm not a fan of bridges. I don't know why, especially over like water or something. I don't know. I just feel like I don't trust it. It's like this structure shouldn't be here. Although, I mean, they're, they're engineered pretty highly. Some are, <laughs> some collapse. And they have been for, well, yeah. actually, you know, I was about to say structurally, the America's not in great shape right now, yeah. but you know, they've had the bridge figured out since the Roman times, you know, I mean, it's, you know, triangles, it, um, the more triangles you could get in there, the stronger structurally it'll be and arches, obviously. This one was like, the reason I was afraid was because you can see the bottom. Like it was like, it's not like a normal walkway bridge. Like you're like, not if you, you know, if you look over on that side, you can see the bottom, but you can like literally you can fall through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can fall through. Yeah. So that's why. Where is this bridge located? This was in Santa Cruz. Oh, so, dude, it's not that far from me. Oh, um, so it's like, I can't remember where it is, but it's like in some woods or something on the Santa Cruz, like the train that goes through Santa Cruz and all that, like the little um, scenic train or whatever. Yeah, let's yeah. go. Yeah. Yeah. That's right, like two hours for me. Yeah. So it's, oh, it's scary. All right, cool. Me. Well, we'll we'll put this out there to our audience, and uh, you can promote this to your audience too. And we should get people to comment, like, "Hey, should Ryan fly out to California, and should we go walk this bridge and put it on video?" Oh, I would be scared, bad, but I, I would probably do it. I hope. I hope. Love it. How fun, dude! I, I'm talking like a tough yeah. game right now, but I guarantee you, when I get up on there, I'll be like, I gotta wear a bag in case I pee my pants. Yeah. I was about to say, I can tell you right now, I'm not gonna enjoy it, but I will go. <laughs> if the audience wants me to go, I will do it. I will record it. I don't care how stupid Let's I look. Go. Let's go. All um, right, man, this has been like a lot of fun. Um, so we've already talked about like your three-year vision. Let's just get like let's tighten that up a little bit. 
Like, what are you looking to do in the next six months? Okay, perfect. Yeah, so I'm going to get this commercial started um, going in Raleigh. That's going to be late December. I am going to probably, I mean, I have my CFO right now. We're working on our finances, you know, little minor details. I'm going to grow the business. Um, either that or provide more value in my business, more detailed vision. Um, I mean, there's a lot of things. Uh, I want to get to 20 properties per month on a bad month, just in this mar- in the North Carolina market. Um, there's so much. I mean, I, I want to just basically get things more smooth smoothed out. And then be able to just put their people in the right places and then have that be scaled for sure. Get those aces in their places, bro. Um, Cool, man. Anybody looking to reach out to you? Like, what would be the best way for them to reach out? Um, Email is fine. Uh, Ryan at cinchhomebuyers.com. C-I-N-C-H homebuyers.com. Or, or, I mean, I'm on Facebook, Ryan Smith. I'm on... um, LinkedIn, but there's like no followers there and, uh, probably going to create a Instagram at some point business Instagram. Yeah. Well, I'll check for you before we release this. If those things are launched by the time it is, we'll have those all available for you. We'll get your Facebook and LinkedIn. Hopefully we could give you a bump. Um, dude, Ryan, I mean, this has been absolutely, um, a ton of fun. Um, I really love the fear stuff that we got into and, um, just, Absolutely a pleasure having you here. Thank you so much for showing us um, a glimpse into your life and into your business. Um, you've done so many cool things, man. I mean, it's just, just been it's it's been so much fun. Um, to you, to those of you out there chasing freedom, freedom required one action at a time. Um, go take the action, commit to it. Tell somebody you know, get it done within the next seven days, and before you know it, you too will be living a life of freedom. Um, thank you for listening, and we'll catch you on the next one. Please like, comment, share, and subscribe. Engagement is like gold to us. We can't do what we're doing without it. Reviews and subscriptions, particularly on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube, are worth more than money. So please do what you can to support the show. 